Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older and use nicotine or tobacco, I want to tell you about Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. What are they made of? Cured edible green leaves, food-grade ingredients, and pharmaceutical-grade nicotine. No tobacco leaf or stem. So if you're 21 and older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online and they ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. What's up everybody? You're listening to your boy John Middlecoff on the 3 and Out podcast brought to you by the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Uh, another big week coming at you. You can listen to us anywhere podcasts are found. If you listen on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. Uh, at the end of every podcast, I have a couple good questions today. We'll answer some of those questions on the podcast. We do it every week. Uh, today, we got some good stuff coming up. Browns, one of the biggest drafts, I think, in NFL history. Uh, what really goes on in a draft room, I've been in them, I've helped set them up, I've been a part of them as a scout, give you a little insight to what's going on, and, and then some stuff on, on Aaron Rodgers complaining why he's wrong, and, and the Tom Brady saga that just will not go away. But let's start with the Browns. I, I've read some places on Twitter that people have theorized, and, and listen, on this podcast we're all for thinking outside the box, just because the way something's been done forever doesn't mean that we have to continue doing that. I wouldn't call myself necessarily an outside-the-box thinker, but I'm very open to ideas. Uh, I would call myself old-school, yet very open to ideas, and definitely willing to change if the opportunity makes sense. 
And I've seen some headlines, probably more Twitter, you know, and Reddit, and some just like local blog base. But it, it got me thinking, should the Browns take a quarterback at number one and number four? And I just kind of, you had to think about it for a second. The more I thought about it, it's not a crazy idea, but here's why it makes no sense. Let's do a hypothetical. You take Sam Darnold at one, uh, Saquon Barkley goes two, Josh Rosen goes three, and you take Baker Mayfield at four. So you have Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield on your roster. You let them battle it out, the best guy wins the job. Here's the ultimate problem. If that guy wins the job, let's say it's Sam Darnold, and he becomes a starting quarterback for a couple years, and he's solid. You know, he's like... uh, you know, not quite as good as like a Marcus Mariota. Mariota was good his, okay his rookie year, really good his second year. His third year, you know, it wasn't very, he was terrible last year. Even though his team made the playoffs, his numbers, I think he was like 13 touchdowns, 17 picks. He was bad. Uh, and Baker Mayfield was his backup. The problem would be typically when you take two quarterbacks in a draft or even have a quarterback on your roster and consistently take like the Andy Reid style of always taking guys. Mike Holmgren did this forever. This was the Ron Wolf school of thinking. Taking a quarterback in the mid to late rounds, even when you have a franchise quarterback. If that guy looks good in the preseason, it, no one, everyone understands, like, of course he's not starting. Brett Favre's your starting quarterback, or Donovan McNabb's your starting quarterback, or, or whatever. And then you flip them. And you, the, the Patriots have done it with Matt Castle. They did it with Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, of course he's not going to beat out Tom Brady. The problem is, if that quarterback, Sam Darnold, and not even a top 10 guy, that guy's value, you will never sniff the number four pick. I don't think you'd sniff a first round pick. You would potentially, if he didn't look great in the preseason, and the guy that's starting over him is not a great player, your value, you're looking at like a third or fourth round pick, a team basically going off their, you know, pre-draft evaluation. So, while the... The theory and the thought process is not crazy. It's worth talking about. And I'm sure not just us in the media or people on Twitter or people on blogs like having fun with it. They would have been stupid not to have the conversation. But the ultimate trump card, why you could never do it is whoever doesn't win the job, whether it's your number one overall pick or number four overall pick. Because at the end of the day, if you've got a good quarterback out of it, it doesn't necessarily matter. The problem is that other guy is kind of a wasted pick. Because eventually you'll be able to trade them for something, but never close to what you bought it for. If you buy a stock for $100,000, you eventually don't want to have to sell off, you know, at $40,000. You would like at minimum to get your money back and in a perfect world to make a return on your investment. The hard part, if you take a guy that high, if you're ever going to trade him, you're probably never going to get close to a top five pick. But if it's a quarterback, we've seen the crazy trades right? If the guy is just solid, the problem would be is it's one of the lone positions really in football where only one guy can play. Kicker, punter, long snapper, quarterback. You don't get to rotate like wide receivers or pass rushers. He just doesn't get to play. So his only film would be preseason. And then everyone in the league would be asking themselves, why isn't that guy playing? So I, I, I do think it's worth talking about and it's kind of a fun little scenario it's just not realistic. To me, the move would be, and I don't think this is crazy at all, because the Redskins laid the bl- blueprint and it kind of bailed their ass out. They took RG3, and then remember, they didn't have many picks because they had to trade so much to the Rams uh, to get Bob Griffin the third, as I call him. Then they took Kirk Cousins in the same draft. 
And as Robert's career fell apart and his knee basically fell off, Kirk came in and ultimately became a guy that you felt comfortable franchising, that led a team to the playoffs, uh, that was a really good player. Turned out to be a better player than Robert Griffin III. Like, you can take Sam Darnold at one, and this is a team that has, like, 55 picks in this draft. Take Luke Falk in the fourth round. Hell, even at the end of the third round, just as a backup plan. Just as a guy you're not necessarily looking just to flip right away. But so, if a guy gets injured, you have another guy to develop, another guy to work with. To me, that that's not crazy at all. To me, that is the move. I would do that if, obviously, it would have to match up, the value would have to be right, uh, the player you'd have to be comfortable with. But I think there are multiple quarterbacks in this draft that you could kind of circle in the third or fourth round, especially a team like the Browns. If, if they just had a pick every round, I would go, uh, I don't love it. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily try to force that. But think, look, Google how many picks they have. They have multiple picks in the top five. So you're already getting two players before the fifth overall pick even happens in the draft. Obviously, your quarterback, but then you're going to get, whether it's Saquon Barkley, whether it's Bradley Chubb, whether it's Denzel Ward, at number four. And then you have the 33rd overall pick. So you're going to get another sweet player. That's where the Browns have a huge advantage to take advantage of the situation. To me, Ron Wolf, Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid, I think they would take another quarterback in this draft to kind of groom behind the guy as potential trade bait, as potential a contingency plan if something goes poorly. And I think you have to, you would love for the guy to be a great player. And I'm bullish on Sam Darnold as anyone, probably besides Sam Darnold's parents. But we've seen the way the NFL plays out, the way guys flame out, injuries happen. It's not crazy. And then if he does turn into a good player and you've groomed and developed the backup, just looking like a solid guy, you'll be able to flip him. And you'll turn a fourth-round pick into a second. Hell, if it goes perfectly, maybe a first. To me, that's the move. And the Browns are entering, I think, one of the biggest drafts for a team in NFL history, given how terrible they've been, given what a laughingstock they are, and given how many picks they have, and given the opportunities that are in front of them. I, I mean, listen, I live on the West Coast. I couldn't be more excited to watch what the Cleveland Browns do in the NFL draft. Well, you know, I wasn't planning at at the beginning of this week to talk about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, but they've kind of come into the news. And, uh, you know, they're the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. Arguably, Tom's the best quarterback in NFL history. It's weird because Aaron is more talented than Tom, even though I think Brady is the best quarterback ever. For my generation, the, the older millennials, to me, Rodgers is the Marino Elway of my generation. Just the, just the holy shit. That, that is just a talent. I, I've never seen that before. And I, I heard Joe Montana actually on Good Morning Football last, I think it was last week, and they asked him a question, what quarterback of his generation did he, did he believe would just do the best in today's rule? And he didn't even hesitate Marino. And when you hear the old school guys talk about Marino, I, I know he never won a Super Bowl, but the reverence they talk about his ability, and that's the way I feel with Rodgers. Like, he, he may just, when his career's all over, just end up with one Super Bowl. But I know what I watched, you know. It's like when you talk to someone that watched Mickey Mantle play or Wilt Chamberlain play or, you know, whoever. They just they just talk about the guy at a different level. Like, I'll, I'll always do that for Aaron Rodgers. Is he a little different? Is he a little weird? Uh, is he the first guy you'd want to play with 
Maybe not. But just from a talent standpoint, there's no disputing it. But I'm going to have to disagree with something. That he's... There was a report came... It's hard to keep up with all this stuff. There was a report that came out a couple days ago on Yahoo that he's somewhat disenchanted and, and not very happy that he's not involved and in the loop with everything. And I think this ties into Tom Brady, who did not show up for organized team activities. I don't even think these are actually OTAs. These are technically just workouts and meetings. It's not that crazy. To me, it's only crazy in, in the fact that he hasn't missed these since 2010. And over that period of time, they went to multiple Super Bowls. They won two Super Bowls. I think in total they went to four. And in the, he established himself from basically 2011 till this year. That's when he set in stone in concrete that he was the greatest quarterback ever. And now this rift, which whatever's going on with Bill Belichick, there's clearly something there. Same deal with Aaron Rodgers and his organization that I think both those two players are starting to realize, like, you guys kind of need me. And they can act a little bit like basketball players in terms of it's a player's league. Because in the NFL, it's not a player's league. Like, in the NBA, uh, Greg Popovich, who's kind of going, he's on one right now when it comes to Kawhi Leonard and his people. Like, I, if I could recommend something to Greg Bobovich, and clearly he wouldn't listen to me because he wouldn't listen to anyone in the media. I, you know, and I don't know all the details, but I'd say, you know, Pop, I don't know if I'd quite handle that way, you know, this situation with a top five player quite like you're doing. But in the NFL, Belichick has shown a long history of never giving a damn about a player beside really Brady. But even Brady, who's 40 years old, will be 41 years old this season. You know, even Belichick has to be thinking to himself, this guy's going to push me around. The problem is he's not really a tradable player, so they're kind of in this no man's land. He's never listened to Tom. He's gotten rid of his buddies, whether it's Logan Mankins, whether it's Wes Welker. He does things almost in spite of Tom. And I think Tom's a little tired of it. A little like Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers has seen all these guys over the years not be signed, seen a team that's, in fairness, like the difference, Belichick is such a good coach that he can find guys, make them players. He's also sneaky aggressive, whether it comes to getting an Aqib Tlaib or, you know, getting a uh, getting a Darrell Revis. Last year, he signed Stephon Gilmore. I'm not the biggest Gilmore guy, but, you know, it was, I mean, they paid him a bunch of money. He will do big moves where the, pay, where the, the Packers never have. And Aaron Rodgers now is, he kind of denied it, called it clickbait, of course. But there, there's no disputing it. He's not quite happy. I, I think his best friend on the team was Jordy Nelson, was just released. My problem always, and, and I don't think Tom, like Rodgers, is necessarily mad that they won't listen to him. He's just tired of Belichick getting all the credit. Of Belichick being always able to determine everything. Where Rodgers wants some input. Like he's, again, like an NBA player. And here's my problem with Aaron Rodgers wanting that input. From In theory, I guess it does make some sense. And when you're going to get rid of his quarterback coach, a guy that he spends a lot of time with, I might side with Aaron. Because, like, for Brady, they don't have much coaching turnover. So there's a lot of consistency there. You know, if, if you look at Aaron, he's lost some coordinators. McAdoo bounced. Philbin, back in the day, bounced. I think he's back now. So he's had some turnover because they've had success and they've had a lot of aspirational 
young coaches on the off- offensive side of the ball that have gotten jobs. So I, I get if you're going to get rid of his coach and not tell him. But when it comes to uh, cutting, especially cutting players, like what do I think if I ask Aaron Rodgers, you, uh, you know, we're thinking about getting rid of Jordy. His cap number's too big. What do you think? That, that'd be like asking me, Hey, John, we, uh, we're thinking about ordering pizza for dinner. What do you think? Uh, yes. I, I know Aaron's going to say, no, don't cut him. I know the answer. So when it comes to player personnel moves, I, I've seen it firsthand. The scouting department, the, the crew of people in the front office spend every waking minute evaluating these players, do it right or wrong, that they just know more than Aaron. Also, when it comes to money. So they've de- they actually, I thought, did a pretty good job this offseason. I say, Aaron, you know, you can't sign everyone. Jordy is no longer the player that he once was. We just broke Devontae Adams and gave him huge cash. A couple years ago before Randall Cobb hit free agency, we broke him off. This year, say what you want about Jimmy Graham. He's a flawed player. He did, I, what do you have, 10 touchdowns? Yeah, I think he led the league in red zone touchdowns for a tight end. Like, he was pretty productive. We did get Muhammad Wilkerson. Like, we have got, we changed defensive coordinators. We have made changes for you. But we're not going to go to you and ask you your thought on every move. First off, it's just, that's not realistic. And second off, I know, beside like your position coach, I know your take is going to be on most guys, especially on the team. Guys that you're going to want to keep. And that's the hard part about football. You have to make some tough cuts. It's like Brady. I think Brady is finally trying to flex his muscles. And I'd say the problem, Tom, and there was a report as of recording this earlier today, Schefter said something, you know, basically he's like, there's a slight, slight chance that Tom would retire, but everyone around him thinks he's going to, of course Tom's going to return. But clearly Tom's trying to flex his little muscles. Not little. I mean, they're they're not big because he, he doesn't lift. He just stretches. But Tom... You probably should have done this five or six years ago. You're now 40 years old. And here's the thing, unlike Rodgers, because Rodgers still in the prime of his career. Like, Tom, you, you might retire in a year or two. You just, you're, you got to be careful. And, and you're probably, I don't live in Boston, but I'm a huge Patriot guy. I watch all their games. I mean, they're the best organization of the salary cap era. I'd say any sport. And it's like, Tom, you have to be careful of risking your fan base they all believe, right or wrong, and I think they're kind of right, that you helped force Bill's hand on getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, they, if you wanted to retire, which no one really believes, but you're kind of trying to flex your muscles like you think about it, well, if you were to retire, we had your replacement and, and you made us get rid of him. And now you're trying to be a tough guy and act like that? You got to be careful because fan bases are very fickle. I, I'm on Team Belichick on this one. I think if you split them both up right now and you put Belichick on a random team and Brady on a random team, and let's say both teams were equal, I think Belichick would have more success. I think what he does is more important because he's proven he can find, he can make Matt Castle a winning player. He turned Jimmy Garoppolo into a star. Now, I don't necessarily think that Belichick would just win the Super Bowl, but I think there's a chance that Tom, right as of today, Maybe in the peak of his powers, you know, eight, nine years ago, it'd be a different story. But right now, if I could pick one, I wouldn't even hesitate and I'd take Belichick. So I, this is the bed a little bit that Robert Kraft made. And this is why, if you're Green Bay, this is why you don't let the quarterback push you around. And you don't involve him in stuff. 
And I think this organization in Green Bay went through that with Favre. And now for the first time, the Patriots, who have been Teflon, bulletproof, the most consistent, quiet organization ever, it's just one thing after another. It's because they're kind of, Brady feels empowered. And for his entire career, he basically acted like Tim Duncan, the ultimate team guy, taking discounts, you know, always just siding with Belichick just because it was the right thing to do. It set the tone for the organization. Now, for the first time, he's kind of like, screw this. And look, it's, I, you know, people have reported that they're independent of each other and the Gronkowski not showing up has nothing to do with Tom, even though it kind of does. Like, one of the big stories was Belichick ripped Gronk's ass for working out with TB12. And obviously, Alex Guerrero was banned last year, and that's Tom's guy. I mean, all you got to do is watch two minutes of Tom versus Time and realize that guy spends as much time with him as Giselle or his kids. Like, that's Tom's dude. And Belichick clearly disrespected him in Tom's eyes. So, Green Bay should just keep doing what they're doing, not asking Aaron. Just pay him a premium. You know, keep drafting receivers for him, and he'll be fine. But the moment you start to empower him, uh, that's when he'll get he'll start acting like Brady, and then he'll start pushing you around. You've already be, you've already seen that happen with Brett Favre. It's a miserable existence, and now Tom's starting to do it. And my advice to Tom, and again, he he wouldn't listen to me, but I'd say, listen, Tom, you are probably the most respected superstar in an area in the history of an area. Like, I, I see it in the Bay Area with Joe Montana, how revered he was. It still is. And, and Tom, to me, I would imagine in Boston is quadruple that, partly because it's still ongoing. Uh, but he's untouchable. There's They've had his back with the Flategate. They've just, Tom's their guy. But when you start doing stuff like this, and now, you know, threatening just to hold out, it's just, you're going to fight with Belichick? It, it's just kind of crazy, but it does feel... Like, are, are we headed to the last year of, of the Brady-Belichick connection of the duo? Because if I was a betting man, and you say, Middlecoff, put $500 on, I, I'm giving it one and a half seasons. Would you take the over or the under of the Belichick-Brady duo? As of right now, with all the weird stuff that's happening basically like every day, especially if something really weird happens in this draft, as in, Belichick trades like five picks to go get Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or hell, even Lamar Jackson. I would put my money on the under. So you got to be careful in empowering your quarterbacks. And I I think Tom's walking a slippery slope right now of turning his own fan base a little bit against him. Let's talk a little bit about the draft room. When I got hired in the NFL, by far the coolest thing, besides like getting to work down the hall from an NFL coach and being in next, you know, you're basically just answering to an NFL GM. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, when you're in your early 20s and you get to do that, that's just, it's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, the shitty thing is you make about $25,000, but you're not getting into it for the money. The first place you want to go is the draft room and see all the magnets, see all the cards. I got hired by the Philadelphia Eagles, like, like most, you know, young personnel people, and really the way the personnel uh, fiscal year goes. Like for coaches, they all get fired right after the season. That's when you see coaching movement. For general managers, for scouts, it happens after the draft. 
their contracts, coaches' contracts run through the end of the season. And obviously, if you make the playoffs through the playoffs, scouts, general managers, contracts typically run through the draft. So you, you get there, you know, in uh, when's the draft? End of April. So usually people get hired and fired, you know, in the middle, early of May. So the draft room is still up. OTAs are going on. I, I vividly remember my first time just walking in the draft room, how, how cool it was. Seeing all the magnets up. Uh, you basically have the you have this huge kind of conference room just wrapped around with magnets of every team, every team's draft, uh, you, the draft board, what it was because all the you know the magnets have come off as the draft went down. And then as you work in the league, you become part of the draft process. Uh, being a being a college scout, you know I saw the way the draft board gets put together. And, and basically, as we sit here on April eighteenth, uh, Wednesday, April eighteenth. The majority around the league, I would imagine, draft boards are done. Definitely the first five, six rounds set in stone. I, I do think a lot of times, like late in the game, teams are just trying to finalize their undrafted free agent lists. You know, players, because guys, if you put them in the sixth or seventh round on your draft board, depending, not every team does it necessarily by round, by grade, whatever. However, an individual team does it you have to realize that a lot of those guys are not going to get picked and you're going to have the chance to isolate right now knowing guys that you would love to have as undrafted free agents. Now, obviously, it's a fluid process. But for the last several weeks, the board basically runs by round on the left and then horizontally on the top by position. And, you know, let's just you start at quarterback and you go all the way over to kickers and punters. And you've worked through the draft. And I, I know the Green Bay way, the John Dorseys, the Ted Thompsons, the John Schneiders, the Reggie McKenzies. Now I know Veach now in Kansas City is doing it this way. Uh, they watch a lot of tape for weeks on end. So you're basically working 14 to 17 straight days every day going through position, through round, through grades. And whenever there's a discrepancy on the stack, so let's say you're on the quarterbacks. And let's say you're a quarterback needy team, and there's an argument between Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen. You're immediately throwing on the tape multiple games as the entire group. Every scout is in the room. And sometimes, depending on the organization, the head coach is in the room too, maybe the coordinator, and you're just watching it. You're banging out the film, and you're arguing over who's better. And ultimately, you know, in the scouting community, they say the tape doesn't lie. Eventually, it gets ironed out. Basically, by there's a decision maker in the room. Whoever the general manager is, and in some cases it's the coach, he's just going to say, this is the way we're stacking it. And then once that is set, that individual that's on the other end, right, if you like the player that didn't get stacked on top, you may be wrong, but that's that's the way it's going to be. So you just kind of have to move on. And ultimately the whole point of this is to win and get it right as a team. Like this isn't – it's hard because you're – in a room pounding the table or fighting for a player that other people may not like, especially if you're from that area and you've gone into that school, you, you know, it's kind of becomes personal, but, but ultimately you all have the same common goal trying to win and trying to get the best players. So it's a lot of interesting dynamics. And then the general manager, the college director, that's obviously based out of the building. That's not living in an individual area. It's not spending as much time in those individual schools with those, you know, individual players and getting the the background information, you know, from those coaches, from the people in the schools. 
have a little bit less of a personal connection and, and can usually make kind of an unbiased, in a perfect world, decision. Now, that, that doesn't always take place. And as this board has played out, everyone's talking about, you know, some teams are just calling around, setting up trades right now that if the player we want's there, you know, you call Team X. If you're at, you know, let's say you're the Dallas Cowboys at pick 19. You call the Oakland Raiders at pick 11 and say, listen, if, you know, you don't even necessarily have to tell them the player, but we'd be willing to move up to pick to pick 10 from 19 and give you X, Y, and Z if the situation presents itself. So all these hypothetical deals, that, that, that's why I was so shocked when the Jets went from six to three, because typically you see that deal on draft day once the player you want is there. You don't typically see that months before the NFL draft. Now, this was kind of a unique draft because there were multiple high-level quarterback prospects. But in the draft room, and I think coming down this home stretch, you still have scouts in that room kind of banging the table and fighting for the guys that they really want. And it's such a fluid process right now because the draft hasn't taken place that you have to pick your spots. But there are a lot of guys all over the league, college directors, that may disagree with the ranking right now on their individual team's draft board that are just waiting like, I hope to guy, that guy falls in the second round so I can just you know, pound the table. Get up on the table. Stand on the table is what they say in the scouting rooms and, ar- and argue for that individual player. And I think as we sit here today – all the, I don't think they're considered OTAs, but these mini camps and these meetings are taking place, you know, with the actual football team. So the coaches, the individual position coaches now are kind of doing something different. Like they're more focused on their individual players, you know, in meeting rooms. And it's really, this becomes a scouting process. These coaches have given their input, have given the guys they like. Obviously, the head coach is still really involved. But a lot of the position coaches and even the coordinators are so focused on the players now in the building, they're not as quite involved as they were three weeks ago when they were kind of hooting and hollering and screaming and pounding the table for guys they liked. Now that all amps up next week. And depending on the organization, like when I was in Philly, I think they've expanded the draft room. It's a lot bigger. But when I was there, the draft room wasn't that big. The assistant coaches were not in the draft room for the first round. Once you get to the middle of the second round, the doors open up. It becomes a little more fluid in and out of the room. But the first round is a closed door. You know, for most organizations, it's your general manager, your owner, your head coach, your college director, maybe your coordinators, your cap guy, your president, you know, some minority owners. It's not a huge group of people because a lot of these rooms can't fit you know, 20 scouts, 20 coaches, uh, and all the people that I listed above. So it's really, I've heard in New England, there's like five people in the room. Now I've seen pictures of like, I think Green Bay had a pretty big draft room. Definitely Seattle. I think they do it in a conference room. Uh, Like maybe maybe they do it in the team meeting room because there are a ton of chairs, ton of room. I know Kansas City's is pretty big, but not, not everyone is in that room. So it's harder to scream for a player if you're the uh, tight end coach or the running back coach or the Southeast scout if, if you're not in the actual room. You basically just hear one of the younger guys on the staff that actually is in the room doing some, like, basically accounting, you know, as every pick's 
happening. He's grabbing the magnets and putting them, you know, with the specific team. He just screams like, hey, guys, our pick's up. And everyone comes into the room, and that's when you're watching television and you see the entire group or the entire organization basically in that little room. They're not in that room before the pick. So this is a this is a great week. We're basically a little over a week away. I can't wait for the first round. I can't wait for the NFL draft. There are all these draft rooms. These draft boards are, are getting set basically as we speak. Many of them are done. And now it's basically just time to pick some actual players. Last but not least, you know we like on this show to answer questions that you guys give me on iTunes. If you haven't, go to iTunes. If that's where you listen to your podcast, you can also find it basically every other different uh, platform to listen to podcasts. But subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. And I will answer them during the podcast. Let's go through a couple questions. Mike from Valencia. It's in California. I have two Raiders questions. In your opinion, who should the Raiders go after in the draft? And who do you think they're actually targeting? In my opinion, the guy they should go after would be Roquan Smith. But I also think, and this is what you have to be prepared for when you're in a draft room, is there is the guy you want. And if you're not drafting really in the top four or five, you have to be realistic of who you can actually get. So obviously, Roquan Smith would be the number one guy on my draft board for a guy that could potentially fall there. But as this process has played out, as he has gone on all these visits and his stock has only really blown up, you have to kind of come to grips with he's probably not going to be there. So to me, the guy they're actually probably targeting, they need defensive backs in the worst way. They do not really have a free safety. They have a strong safety, but he's kind of... He's been a flawed player these last couple years in Carl Joseph, though he was a first-round pick. They do not have a slot corner. Uh, They do not have anyone, you know, that can basically play multiple positions in the defensive backfield. That I think at the end of the day, they have their new defensive backs coach under John Gruden was just coaching for Nick Saban last year. Coaching the defensive backs. That Minka Fitzpatrick makes a lot of sense. Can cover the slot. Can play both safety positions can, in a pinch, play some corner, and is just in a position where he's not going to bust. He may not be an all-pro superstar-level player, but he will not be bad. And no team in the NFL is more desperate for just productive defensive backs that is considered a good team than the Oakland Raiders. So to me, Minka makes a lot of sense. The other two guys would be, I think you say his name is McKinley, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame. Some people like Connor Williams, the offensive tackle from Texas. Uh, The Raiders are going to be in the tackle market. They do not have a right tackle. And their starting left tackle, Donald Penn, is an older player. Maybe has a year or two left. So John Gruden mentioned this at the owners' meetings. They need to find a tackle. I wouldn't be floored, shocked. Colton Miller, the offensive tackle from UCLA, he's kind of like Nate Solder, 6'8", 6'9". Big-time athlete, ran like a 4.95 at his pro day, can fly. Really good athlete, jumped 32 inches. 10 would be a little little high for me, but if they were to trade back, if one of the quarterbacks were to fall, I think he would be in the mix. Uh, they need to get a tackle, and typically where you get good tackles is in the first round. So I, I think they're targeting tackles for that number 10 overall pick, 
And I, I think Roquan Smith and Minka Fitzpatrick would be the guys they love. Another question from Lone Wolf in DTLA. I'll take that as downtown LA. For giving Andy his due, second highest wins behind Belichick, looking at the latest Vegas Super Bowl futures, we like gambling on this show, Vegas likes Deshaun more than Mahomes. Obviously, the Houston, that would mean the Houston Texans have better Super Bowl odds than the Kansas City Chiefs. But is Vegas discounting Andy? Uh, I had Andy on last week. He clearly is very bullish on Mahomes. And I think a lot of people have written off the Kansas City Chiefs as a team that is rebuilding. And as I asked him, he doesn't think like that. He's not a rebuilder. He's a reloader. Now, it's a little different when you have a first-time starting quarterback. When he starts week one, we'll be making his second career start. They spent a lot of money this offseason. They got a number two wide receiver that makes $16 million. Some argued that that's kind of a crazy deal. I don't think it's that nuts just because I do think Sammy Watkins still has a lot of ability. And I think Andy Reid is the perfect coach for Sammy to get the most ability out of his talents and most production out of his body that I don't think many other places it would have worked that way. I also think Mahomes, a deep ball thrower, is a good fit for him with Tyreek Hill, with Kareem Hunt, with Travis Kelsey. almost called him Jason Kelsey. That's his brother. And their offensive line solid. So you look at the Chiefs, you go, if their defense is just better, how would they be worse? They were terrible last year. If they are just solid, just decent, I think their offense is going to be better. Maybe not more consistent than they were with Alex, but much more explosive because they have the ability to throw 50 and 60-yard bombs to these two wide receivers with Mahomes. Is there a better coach in the NFL to have a young quarterback playing for than Andy Reid? So Patrick Mahomes is in the perfect situation. There aren't The expectations aren't that crazy high because in their division, everyone's looking at this $100 million coach, Gruden's taking over the Raiders, which should be solid, and the Chargers, I mean, if they're ever going to win anything or just win the division, this would be the year. So I think people are kind of sleeping on them. Now, do I like them to win the Super Bowl? Probably not, but I, I, I've checked on my site, and you can almost get them plus 3,000 to 1. So if you put 100 bucks right now, it's, I think it was plus 2,800. So you put 100 bucks, wins you $2,800. I, I do find some value there. I, because you're looking at one of the best two or three coaches in the league, and he gets, he gets I, I'd say, properly criticized for some of his playoff mishaps. But I do think it is time in Kansas City, if you want to knock his quote-unquote playoff mishaps, his starting quarterback was Alex Smith. If he was having those mishaps with Aaron Rodgers, with Roethlisberger, with Russell Wilson, then I think the criticisms would be a little more valid. But he was doing this with Alex Smith. That's who his quarterback was in these playoff games. I do think the sky is the limit. Now, are they going to win the Super Bowl this year, or do, do I think that's a great bet this year? Probably not. But from a value standpoint, why couldn't they sneak up on someone? Look at what's going on in New England. They're kind of crumbling. The uh, The Steelers have some issues. Roethlisberger's getting up there in age. Who knows if he can play 16 games and he'll be healthy for the playoffs and Le'Veon Bell is going to be all in. Jacksonville Jaguars, at the end of the day, their quarterback's Blake Bortles. You know, I mean, the Ravens have kind of fallen off the map. So I, the AFC just isn't that good. If it was the NFC, I'd say no chance. But this is the AFC. The AFC is a flawed conference. So, yes, I, I do think Vegas is sleeping on them a little bit. Good question there, Lone Wolf in DTLA. Again, go to iTunes, leave your questions, and we will answer them on the podcast. 
appreciate everyone listening. Uh, I'll have another podcast out next week, basically the day before the draft. Maybe we'll even do a special weekend one if uh, some good stuff's going on. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of stuff's obviously going to be going on with the draft picks, but, you know, we'll keep you updated there. You listen to Three and Out with John Middlecoff on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.